you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Around the League podcast is 25% Jewish. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined, as always, by a room full of heroes, Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, and Greg Rosenthal. What up, boys? Hey, Dan. What's up? Week four. Here we are. We're, we're ready. Sunday night. Nice week. Nice Sunday of action. Um, what have your, what's your takeaway so far of uh, Sunday's games? I'm just excited for Mark. I mean, that's it takes a while. Mark, like, watched last week's Browns win with total stoicism. You wouldn't have known he was a fan at all. This game, he really wouldn't let any optimism shine through until that final <laughs> touchdown. And now my vision of the Browns on Thursday night football, this Thursday, NFL Network, they win that game 3-2 and two in their sole place, sole possession of first place. Listen, I think a lot of people, and I appreciate the enthusiasm, but anyone that's lived through the Cleveland Browns experience for a couple of decades is naturally... There's some caution there. All right, we're, we're going to get into that. But let's. why don't we do what we've been doing, okay? We're going to go through all the games Sunday. Um, as every week, Greg assigns us all to different games, so each of us will talk about the games that we watched uh, closely, and then the rest of us will chime in with, you know, substantial comments or maybe just kind of filler comments. We don't know <laughs> what we're going to give you from an episode-to-episode <laughs> basis, so we'll see how that plays out. But let's start with what I think we all agreed on was the – the best game or maybe the most important game of the day, the Seattle Seahawks down 20-3 to in Houston, come back and knock off the Houston Texans 23-20 in overtime in a game that you know changed in an instant on the uh, Richard Sherman pick six with uh, less than three minutes to play. Greg, you watched that game. Uh, what did you take out of that? Well, I'm looking at my notes here, and you know, pretty far down the page in, in this game, I wrote, beatdown of epic proportions, most (laughs) impressive performance by any team this year. And that was the Houston Texans about two-thirds of the way through the third quarter. The Seahawks had no offense whatsoever. Houston was just dominating the game, and I just didn't see it turning around because the Seahawks had no passing game. And then for a variety 
of reasons that we can get into. Uh, Seattle just pulled off an incredible comeback, and it, it was, to me, the probably the most fascinating game I, I can remember this year. To me, that was when Sherman also had that, when he had the pick six and he ran it back in, uh, to me that was the oh <laughs> newsroom moment of the day where uh, the, everyone reacted to it in unison, and it was like, whoa, what just happened here? This game that... The Texans were in complete complete control of all of a sudden it got turned on his head. And then it came down to this, to me anyway, Matt Schaub, your back is now against the wall. The the walls, the walls are crumbling down. You need to now fix this after you put your team in this hole. And what does he do? He's unable to move the ball at the end of the fourth quarter in overtime, and they eventually get beat. In fairness, he played better than Russell Wilson for the whole day, and there were a lot of things that happened. The game turned on Ben Tate's fumble, which set up a field goal to make it 20-6. to That was midway through the third quarter. Tate never comes back in the game, really, and, and I think that hurt the Texans. The Seahawks had one of the best drives of the season, a 98-yard drive where they overcame a second and 20, a second and 24, a fourth down near the goal line where Russell Wilson made a defender miss and picked it up. If they tackle Russell Wilson there, the game is over. But people are going to forget, after that happened, Russell Wilson threw an awful pick. They had no passing attack whatsoever. So the difference was, I mean, to me it was a defensive win, and it was Schaub making another bad decision. He's made a lot of them this year. This game seems to me like a microcosm of the Texans' 2012 season. They fly out of the gates with Cushing. He gets injured. They fall apart. Schaub, uh, we hear all about uh, we're going to get Hopkins and Ben Tate involved. It looks to me, just looking at the box score, it was the same old Texans offense that relies on Andre Johnson, Arian Foster, and a little bit of Owen Daniels, and Schaub can't get it done in the end. No wide receiver play uh, plays down the field, nothing longer than 17 yards for those guys. And uh, you know, I was just taken by the fact that Seattle can win different types of ways. You said microcosm of 2012 season. Microcosm of this season. This is an uneven team, Houston. They're a very good defense. They're not a very good offense. And they have problems at quarterback with the decision making. And I, and I had said on Friday, I thought that if Seattle went into Houston and, and knocked Houston in the mouth and came away with a win, I would feel really confident they were the uh, NFC juggernaut. I still think they're the best team in the NFC, but I really think this was a case where the Texans blew this game rather than the Seahawks won it. One last point is Seattle could not protect Russell Wilson whatsoever, and it's they lost another offensive lineman today. They're missing three or four starters, and I think that's going to be a big problem for them. They have not been able to throw the ball at all this year. That's the second game they haven't been able to protect him, right? The Carolina game, he was under pressure most of the game. Right, and they, they could do nothing conventionally from the drop back. They had one drive. They really only had one good offensive drive, and that was about it. Okay, so let's spin through the uh, rest of the early games. We'll start in Buffalo where the Bills gave me my second hero pick uh, in three weeks of the Bills. They took down the Ravens 23-20. Uh, Chris Wessling watched that game where Joe Flacco threw a career-worst five interceptions and finished 25 of 50 passing for 347 yards and two TDs. Wes? I think the biggest takeaway from this, this is one of those games where you can look at the box score and see what happened. The Bills rushed 55 times for 200 yards. The Ravens rushed nine times for 24 yards, and that was the story of the game. If you want to go a little bit deeper, the Ravens still have issues with their offense. Uh, Tandon Doss, who was couldn't even make final cuts, joined with Dallas Clark. Both had nine targets. Uh, Clark signed off the K 
couch, you know, in August. So this this is a problem for them. They need guys like Marlon Brown and Deontay Thompson to play bigger roles. They couldn't run they couldn't run the ball and they turned the ball over so much because Flacco was under duress. The offensive line has kind of gotten off the hook. They haven't gotten as much attention for how poorly they've played all year. They haven't pass blocked or run blocked well. And I think that's just the Ravens offense is really kind of holding this team back right now. What did you see from EJ Manuel? Uh, it's the same thing he's been doing all year. Um, he's not out of control bad, but they didn't win this game because of EJ Manuel. He he had a couple good uh, connections with Robert Woods, and he missed Stevie Johnson's wide open in the end zone on one play. That was a, just a horrible throw. All right, let's move on to Cleveland. Mark Sessler, we, we uh, touched on it at the opening of the show. 17-6 win. Brian Hoyer secures that starting job now with two more touchdowns. Got to be feeling good now, Sessler, don't you? Sessler. I think the story of the game for the second week in a row, honestly, is Cleveland's defense. I mean, you look at Bengals were talked about as the most talented team offensively in the AFC North, if not high up in the AFC to begin with. They were completely shut down today. Completely shut down. This might have been Andy Dalton's worst game in a long time. He got nothing done. He threw for about 69 yards in the first half. Joe Hayden covered A.J. Green like a blanket. And it just, you know, they I, Wes, after the game, pointed out that they had the Bengals didn't have a run over six yards. I don't know. I guess Cleveland's defense, to me, looks very legitimate. And, you know, they held the, the Ravens to a touchdown until they ended up losing that game. They shut them down, you know, for, for you know, minutes, almost the first half there. And I saw, what I saw today was just a team that basically, their offensive, their defensive game plan, they were very well coached. The Bengals really had no answer for it. Who's the better quarterback, Brian Hoyer or Andy Dalton? Hmm. Well, I think that's, it's, it's almost an, it's an absurd thing to look at at this point because Hoyer has, no one has tape on the guy. And, but you know what? He, he, he was very clean today. He didn't throw an interception. They, they did what they did last week, which Greg pointed out, where they went a big, long belly of the game without any scoring drives. But he opened the game with a nice scoring touchdown, and then he closed with a touchdown drive like last week, too. He just got it done. I, I've seen too many Browns games where they build a lead early, and they can't do anything with it. With Hoyer, two weeks in a row, they've closed it out. And, you know, Wes established on Friday uh, AD, which is after Dalton, and a way to break down Dalton, who's a middle-of-the-pack type quarterback. I, I'm almost – you watch I, – and I didn't see this game, but I watched clips of it, and from what I'm hearing here, it's starting to sound like not that Dalton came into the league one way and he stayed that way. Are we starting to see, like, real regression in the Andy Dalton experience? I – I actually, and I, it's, it's nothing to do with me you know, being a Browns fan. I, I really credit this to Cleveland's defense. I think Dalton will go out next week and have a better game. He, he, these two teams know each other really well, and they certainly know Andy Dalton. He's not had his best games against Cleveland. They know how to stop him, but they actually have a pass rush, and they have a defensive line that they haven't ever had since they've come back in the league. That's the difference. At 2-2, two and two, are they? can they... Win this division? Well, is it that crazy? They're tied he, for it here's now. Why no the, one looks that good. Nick, can they be in it for the long haul? Yeah, you just said it because the timing is good. If they're actually some of their talent is going to come together and play well, the Ravens are certainly beatable. The Steelers look god awful, and they just whipped up on the Bengals. And we so yeah, we cannot um, emphasize this enough. 
The Browns traded away Trent Richardson in a move that they were completely buried for. Everyone thought the team was going to quit. It was seen as a white flag on the season. Now they win back-to-back games. That's kind of amazing that they've done this. I mean, I think they, they've seen more of Trent Richardson than the Colts or any other team in the league. They, they, I want to believe that the move was made because they know what they have in Trent Richardson. And listen, they don't have a running back anywhere close to the talent Trent Richardson right now. I mean, they're using some sort of committee to get essentially the same amount of yardage and the same yards per carry. Right. They're, they're winning because Brian Hoyer is playing a lot better than Brandon Whedon did. And he really their is. defense could be a top five group. I think game to game, they've been one of the most consistent, dangerous defenses in the entire league. Okay. Jordan Cameron, five touchdowns in September. Tied for the most in NFL history for a tight end. That's right. He's Gronk the is deal. the last to do it. And one other thing you had mentioned, Mark, uh, Trent Richardson. Uh, another very Trent Richardson-like game from him. Uh, 20 carries for 60 yards. That's three, three yards on the nose. He did score another touchdown. But, uh, you know, obviously it's too soon to say whether or not this is who Trent Richardson is forever. But now two games into his Colts career, he's the same guy he was with the Browns. The question out of Cleveland was, oh, have you given away the best player you've ever had? I, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people inside the, the team and Browns fans didn't see it that way. It's, it reminds me of uh, when I was around 18. And it's I a had, long time now. You're well, this was a while ago. Years. But I had a, uh, a girlfriend that I thought, listen, that I don't, I've never had another girlfriend. This must be what it's all about. And uh, this is irreplaceable, and there's no way I'd part ways with this. But then it's, you know, it went south quickly, and I made a decision to dump her. Hmm. And I thought, you know, what will happen next? It was actually one of the great moves of my life. You, you, the horizons open up. That's where we are with Cleveland. This They're, is... This is similar. Very similar. This is similar to uh, a really bad movie I saw last night, Don John, with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, in which he loses love only to realize that he was better off without it. You draw my life parallel to that. A bad rom-com. I'm not sure where to go with that. Let's move on to the next game. Wow. All right, let's move on to Jacksonville. Oh, man, the Jaguars are so bad. They are so bad. They lost 37-3 to the Indianapolis Colts, a game that really told – I watched this game, a game that told me nothing about the Colts and really basically reinforced the notion that the Jaguars are the worst team in the NFL by a long stretch. Uh, it's, it's lonely at the top of the Gabbard zone, and Gabbard – Blaine Gabbert was terrible again. He averaged, um, he was just a tick under five yards per completion heading into the final meaningless possession. Then he got it over. So I think it was about 5.3 yards per, per attempt. And, uh, you know, this guy is a mess. And I don't know how much longer you could stay with him at this point. Uh, they're just a completely a franchise adrift with him behind the center. And then you have MJD, who is just swallowed up whole every time he touches the ball. This is a really, really bad team. And then Gus Bradley came out after and said, we're throwing all, all our support behind Gabbard. He's still our guy. What's really going on with this team well, behind the, the scenes, what's though? What's the alternative? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, aren't they, haven't they already come to the decision that they have essentially nothing at this position? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where it is now. And, and, you know, he threw three interceptions, uh, one that went back for a score. He... You know, he was throwing the ball downfield a little bit early on, then, but once he got hit and he threw the first pick, it was, you know, check down central and everything was going for three or four yards. This is a bad team. And one thing I wanted to touch on also before we move on, because this game doesn't deserve a lot of coverage, is Trent Richardson scored another touchdown, but 20 uh, carries for 60 yards. So this is against a bad team. 
He's still averaging three yards a carry, and it's still early to really start to really think, hmm, what's going on with Trent Richardson? But he is in two games, he has not had a bust-out game. It's like, wow, the Browns messed up here. To your point about the Jaguars, they've scored 31 points this year. They've given up 129. So they are averaging every week losing by 25 points. That I can't remember a team having a month like that. And if you look at their schedule coming up. I can. Who? <laughs> a lot of Bengals teams. <laughs> to start the season. That's why he has a, a lot of Bengals teams to start the season. If you look at the Jaguars' schedule, they can very easily be 0-8 going into their Week 9 bye, and then it's time to do uh, the watch. So we'll see what happens. All right, moving along to Kansas City. That's it. I have picked the Giants, by the way, four weeks in a row to start the season. I am 0-4 at those picks. The Chiefs put it on the Giants 31-7. to Giants 0-4 for the first time since... That strike season in 87, there were scrubs on the field at the beginning of that season. Not this time. Wes, how do you explain it? This is uh, the same formula for both teams. Chiefs use uh, conservative passing offense with Alex Smith. He doesn't do much down the field. Extremely boring to watch. Jamal Charles carries the team in the fourth quarter. He's become the best clock-killing back in the NFL. Three straight weeks he's done this, where he just takes over a drive and they can't stop him. Uh, Defense looked great. On the Giants' side, Victor Cruz is the only guy that, that Eli Manning can rely on right now. Hakeem Nix isn't winning one-on-one battles. It's just like last year. And the backfield is a mess, and I'm putting that one squarely on Tom Coughlin. Hey, by the way, Victor Cruz, uh, you know, let's calm down with the salsa dance right now. I agree with that. I saw you tweet about that, <laughs> and it's, it is it is wrong at this point. And I understand the game was still close <laughs> when that happened, so it wasn't like they were getting blown out. But let's win a couple of games. Let's win a game. Well, McCluster you know, had one of the best. <laughs> start dancing again. McCluster had one of the best return touchdowns you'll ever see, and pulled out the salsa dance to mock Victor Cruz. Good, you, you know it's wow. the it's Good. a really rough point in the season when this Victor Cruz salsa dance is absolutely talking point number one in New York <laughs> tomorrow. They've been already you know talking about it on Twitter. One um, last thing about the Giants: Brandon Jacobs is the slowest running back I've ever seen in the NFL. <laughs> this version of Brandon Jacobs is he's just moving. He, he, there's no reason for him to be out there. Can I ask you a quick question, though, David Wilson? Because it's you know four weeks in a row where it's what happened with this guy. Looked like a little bit better today statistically. That's all I saw. But they've been behind in every one of these games. Is that part of the problem? That's part of the problem, and it's a little bit of the Mark Ingram effect. When he's in, they, you know he's going to run the ball. Defenses aren't fooled by what the Giants are going to do when David Wilson's in the game. They're using that. Darrell Scott's only in on passing downs. Brandon Jacobs only in for short yardage, and Wilson's in when they want to run the ball, so they're very predictable. And I put that on the coaching staff. They've been outscored, by the way, by 85 points so far this season. So when you're looking at who are the two worst teams in the league, just by points scored, there's no doubt it's the Jaguars and the Giants. And, uh, by the way, our one of our running uh, features from last year, stick a fork in them where we declare teams dead and uh, incapable of making the playoffs. We weren't exactly accurate last year because the Redskins made it and we stuck a fork in them. Uh, I say we, but I really mean Greg Rosenthal. And by exactly, you mean we totally screwed up and it was the worst possible outcome. But we're going to try it again this year, and there are some 0-4 teams to choose from, so we're going to unveil our first one this week. So look out for that. Let's. That ha- should be shocking who we pick. <laughs> keep Good people, tease. Keep people on the edge of their seats. Okay, let's head to London where the Minnesota Vikings and the Pittsburgh Steelers both winless face off. The Vikings get the 34-27 win. This is kind of how the, the Vikings saw it entering the season. You got a 70-yard touchdown pass 
reception by Greg Jennings. You had Peterson ripping off a long touchdown run. The only difference is it was Matt Castle behind center. Greg, what did you see in this game? Yeah, these are two bad teams. I don't think we need to spend too long on it. And my takeaways were basically that just that they got to stick with Matt Castle, I think, coming out of the bye week. I don't think he played as well as his numbers indicated, but he was willing to be aggressive down the field. And I think it's a really bad sign that Ben Roethlisberger played pretty well in this game. They got a, a B game from Roethlisberger. He, he threw for a lot of yards, made a lot of great plays, and they still lose. This time it wasn't just the offensive line who was terrible. It was the defense who was just couldn't tackle anyone, giving up big wide-open throws to Matt Castle, and they just looked every bit like an 0-4 team. Give us a uh, report on Le'Veon Bell. He looked competent. I wrote that <laughs> that it was nice to see a competent runner for the Steelers. Didn't wow you. Um, looked like he struggled in pass protection, but he was a four yards per carry was okay on the goal line, and at least they have someone now. You know, Ian this morning reported that there was... Ian Rappaport, NFL Media Insider. NFL Media (laughs) Insider man, Ian Rappaport, reported that there was, like, a lot of frustration in Pittsburgh. Now, not just among the fans and on the streets, which is obvious with Todd Haley, but inside the organization. Do you feel like when they come out of their bye week, is he still with this team? Yeah, I think so. And to me, the frustration probably is with his management style as much as... Uh, the plays, the offense looked a lot better with Heath Miller and Bell on the field. If the if they had if the defense had played like they had the first few weeks in this game, they would have won, but it didn't happen. And Greg, I promise we won't bring up that Roethlisberger was your MVP pick anymore. <laughs> but I do want to just say one thing. He, you know, Roethlisberger uh, did have his moments. I got to watch this game a little bit, but he did have basically the game deciding lost fumble. And a very flawed team. If he was truly an elite <laughs> level quarterback in 2013. They would have at least one win right now, and he has not been good enough this but year. But that, that, on that play, though, the pocket's crashing around him before he had Hold anything. Hold on to the ball, Ben. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that game was over whether he held on to it or not. would have ended on a sack. But, yeah, that was – you have to – even as Big Ben's biggest supporter, and this was kind of a vintage game where he's running around doing things, you know, he's still making too many mistakes. I will say if Pittsburgh gets its first win against the Browns, I will not watch football again for the rest of the year. <laughs> Isn't that going to be hard to do your job? We Come will, what may. We will have to, uh, what may. have to find a new writer. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's move along to Tampa. I would say Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay actually isn't a city. It's Tampa. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, thought they were going to get the first win, up 10 nothing at the half. They get beat 13-10. Mark Sessler's does not sound like a very interesting game, was it? Well, I thought it was from the angle that Glennon came in and through three quarters looked, I thought, very technically clean. He looked better than Freeman had at any point this season. They didn't ask him to do too much, but he did what they asked. You know, he hadn't made any major mistakes. What I liked about Glennon in general was that, you know, he saw a lot of pressure, and he got rid of the ball. He didn't just hang back there and allow them to throw him for six, seven-year losses. But then the fourth quarter hits, and, you know, I kind of, we have to write up our write-ups for these games and get our notes together. I kind of had this thing in the bag. I was like, I know what's going to happen here. You know, this has a, a certain trajectory to this game. Then everything changed. Arizona scores 13 unanswered points. You know, Carson Palmer looked like a statue back there for three quarters. That offensive line's a mess. But Fitzgerald ultimately, I think, beat out Darrell Revis in this one-on-one battle. Caught a big touchdown. They scored another field goal to go ahead. And listen, two tu- two interceptions by Glenn in the last four or five minutes of this game looked very Josh Freeman-like. 
By the way, I like our uh, robot terms that we're using to describe people. Greg said that Le'Veon Bell was competent. Uh, <laughs> Mark says that M- Mike Lennon is technically clean. Technically clean. Well, was. Competent. <laughs> Do not. Doug Destruct. Martin, the third back in NFL history with 26 carries and less than 40 yards. You know, Tell what? me what's going on there. You know, well, I think that we've seen him struggle to have one of those games that he had a couple times last year where he just broke away and compiled yardage. He didn't do it today. But that actually, that's what had me impressed with Glennon early because they really tried to help him out by going heavy on the ground game. It didn't work. You know, the Cardinals did a nice job stopping him. And Glennon kind of saw through that. He just kind of kept pushing through it and doing his best to move the team. It wasn't a great game for him. Uh, but I think they did. You know, it, I can see why they made the switch if they watched these two guys in practice. Cardinals are two and two with three games on the road so far. Bruce Arians deserves a little credit here. Coach I just don't see that. Back. I don't see that lasting. <laughs> they, they 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 need to do something with that offense, though. It's their their skill players are not really able to do what they need to do because of this line. One last stat to my point earlier on the Bengals. Tampa Bay Buccaneers zero and four for the tenth time since the merger which ties the Cincinnati Bengals. Ten times they've been 0-4. Wow, that's pretty rough. Now it's time, always one of the best times of the week, where we head over to Chicago, our Chicago correspondent with ATL, Kevin Patra. Kevin Patra Going to take some time off from his I'm in the friend zone dinner with Jennifer Hudson. Kevin Patra, how are you, buddy? Let's go, boys. Big day today. How is everything out in uh, Chicago? Beautiful. It's a nice crisp night. You know how it is. I don't actually. Don't have much experience there, no. Um, all right, Kevin Patra, here we go. You ready? Let's talk a little football. Your Detroit Lions have another win under their belt. Wow, what's going on here? Reggie Bush continues to be a difference maker. 173 yards of total offense. You take down the Chicago Bears 40-32. to What's going on? Oh, I'm glad you're finally on board with the Reggie Bush train. I'm there, in. Dan. I'm fully on board now. He, he, he was just absolutely phenomenal. He makes such a difference in that offense. I mean, he, they were splitting out wide because they don't have receivers. His running was ridiculous, the best thing we've seen since Barry Sanders in Detroit. Whoa. I mean, he, he's, he's a difference maker in the offense. There's no question about that through four weeks. Better than Artos Pinner. <laughs> just a little bit. Not too much. Just saying. Got to give him some credit. I mean, is this a team... Uh, that you're feeling can win this division potentially? And, and looking at what the Bears did defensively, what what's going on there? Well, I mean, you got to give some credit to the Lions' offensive line, which hasn't been talked about at all this year so far. I mean, they gave Stafford some time. He made some questionable throws still, in my opinion, but he's progressed. But the, the, the blocking for, for Bush was just – there were just gaping holes. The Bears' front definitely missed Melton today. Uh, the Bears' defense is, is suspect if they're not causing turnovers. So, I mean – the good thing for the Lions, and the thing I said coming into the season about them, is they didn't win in the division last year. And you can't win your division if you don't win in the division. They're 2-0 and both games at home. They have to be able to win on the road in the division. We know Green Bay's probably a loss. They haven't won there 20-some years. Um, but you've got to win in Minnesota. You've got to win in Chicago. Patra, uh, from what I've heard and seen on Twitter, this was a step back for Jay Cutler. Yeah. And, you know, he almost, to me, he looked kind of, after the first the first drive, he looked great. It was I, I was thinking again, like, this is going to be the same Jay Cutler we saw the first couple of weeks. He was sharp. He was hitting his receivers, getting the ball out of his hands. And then after that, after his first interception with Louis Dumas came and made a great play, snatched it away from Alshon Jeffrey. And then he just kind of looked like he was waiting to get hit. 
uh, like he was worried about the, the Lions' defensive line, and Sue was in his face all day. He kind of worked over Kyle Long there a couple times. Uh, he finally got a couple sacks, first two sacks of the season, strip fumble. Uh, he just kind of, color just looked to me like he was waiting to get hit a couple times, holding the ball a little long, kind of escaping the pocket when he had a little time to step up. Just felt like kind of last year where he didn't trust his offensive line the way he did the first three weeks. So you guys have uh, Nate Burleson on the sideline because of the pizza incident, broken arm. What deep dish uh, pizza. Deep dish pizza. Deep dish pizza. Overrated, by the way. A little what? bit overrated. <laughs> That's an outrate. Highly at 2.25 totally in the morning. It depends where it comes from, I guess. Different conversations. So uh, what do they do with a number two receiver? Is Bush basically their number two receiver at this point? Uh, you know, he, he, was, he, he only had four catches in the, in the past game. They did split him out wide with and had Joyce Bell in the, back, in the backfield a lot, uh, quite a bit today. Uh, I think they'll use him in that, that sense. Chris Durham actually led the, uh, the Lions with receiving in receiving yards today because uh, the Bears, like they usually do, kind of bracketed uh, Calvin Johnson, didn't really let him go off, only had 44 yards, did have a touchdown catch. Um, but I, I think it's just going to be year. Pettigrew had seven catches today. They need him to step up. Lions fans hate him because he can't catch the ball at too many drops, and he fumbles a lot, but he, he was the key today. It, it was Calvin... Bush out of the backfield, and then his third read was tight end Pettigrew today, and that's what they're going to need um, in that offense. They, they're going to have to spread the ball around. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin. Hey, you don't think deep dish pizza is the best pizza, do you? I do not. I do not. Thank you. Thank you. Who Do you think so, Wes? <laughs> I, I don't have any problem with deep dish I think it's delicious, depending <laughs> on where you get. I, I don't see what all the... Why would you make fun of it? It's good. It be, well, maybe it's a New York thing as someone from New York. When you go to New York for the first time, hopefully for the Super Bowl, you will have real pizza, and then there will be no different, no way to ever feel unclear on the topic. No, I don't get, I don't get on board with this argument that you have to like one and hate the other. Like, <laughs> I, I can think like of a lot of food That's why to they hate call on. The <laughs> as an East Coaster, I totally agree with Dan. New oh, York yeah. pizza all the way. I'm with Wes. I don't know why you have to pick one over the other. Thank you. Because one's better than the other. Have to make decisions. All right. Kevin Patra, thank you again. We will talk to you next week. Always good information. Have a good one, fellas. Later. Bye. All right. I can't believe that's a topic that we're not all unanimous on. Let's move on to the late games, and we'll start with a dreadful one in Nashville. Uh, My New York Jets went down in flames. Chris Wessling, the improbable hero pick there. He got the Titans. They whooped up on the Jets 38-13. Uh, but the bigger story here is Jake Locker, who was in the midst of probably the best game of his career, uh, suffered a potentially serious right hip injury. Uh, we don't know at this time how serious it is, but it did not look good. And that really casts a big shadow over everything that's going on for the Titans, who started out 3-1. and one. I think that's the biggest story of the day. You know, it's too bad that injuries work that way, but this is one of the most surprising teams. And like you said, from what I've heard, it's two of his best games of his career back-to-back. And if he's gone, it's pretty much okay. You know, wow, we have Ryan Fitzpatrick. That, that's that. If Locker was healthy, would it be outrageous to say the Titans are the best team in that division? Nobody wants to no, believe in them, but they, but they keep out physically in teams every single week. You know, they are what the second— What did you like about the Colts going to San Francisco and, and, and beating them up and, and winning today in Jacksonville big? It, but the, it's a, to your point, the Texans— Maybe the third most impressive team in that division so far. The that, Titans are the f- second team in NFL history to go four, first four games of the season without a turnover. So they're like the opposite of the Steelers. And, you know, as I, as I wrote in the uh, roundup that we have, we have a, what do we call it, the what we learned, Greg? 
Yeah, what we learned, takeaways from the game that's that's on our site every uh, Monday morning. You can check it out. Literally dozens and dozens of takeaways from each of the games. Um, we believe it's one of the finest uh, pieces of content <laughs> we put out. But, uh, yeah, the one thing I wrote was any goodwill that Geno Smith had built up over the Jets' first three weeks was undone uh, today because – he was la- he was rattled. He had four turnovers. This is this is pretty grim. Four turnovers that led to twenty eight Titans points. Uh, he just was completely out of it. And the Jets are in a bad spot now because he is on pace for forty four turnovers, uh, and that makes Sanchez's twenty six last year look amazing. And they don't really have anywhere else to go. Sanchez isn't an option. He's on short term IR. You have Matt Sims, but I, I can't imagine they're going to go with an undrafted rookie that wasn't even good in college. So it's basically stick it out with Gino Smith. Why would they Smith. want to go with anyone else, though? That seems crazy to me. If And I, I implore you to watch the game tape for this game because it be, could become a situation where they almost have to do something. If, if this becomes a regular thing where he's turning the ball over two or three times a game in deadly spots and not giving the defense any chance, uh, I'm just this game was bad enough to really make you think that the Jets – are in bad shape potentially. I love the pendulum swings I in know, the it's NFL. One game. No, I mean I just Jets fans were telling me this week they couldn't have any possible interest in Josh Freeman because they have the next Johnny Unitas under center in, in Geno Smith. He's he's going to have five terrible games this year. He's already had two. It's just that's how it's going to be. You just hope he kind of learns from him and and gets better. And he, he like you like you two are both saying this week how much he's shown you. That'll show up too, right? That'll show up too. He's made plays. And even in this game where he was dreadful, he made a few throws. But ultimately when it comes down to it is he can't have too many more games like this because it takes the air out of the whole team and it's only going to be a matter of time. Uh, You know, we're only one-fourth through the season. He's had two just disaster games. They they made their bed by going with him to start the season, but this was kind of like the dark side. This is the worst-case scenario for the Jets. So what I'm hearing from you is, Geno Smith is ultimately going to cost Rex Ryan his job. It, there's a very good chance he will because if they do decide, and it's probably the smart decision just to ride it out with him because you got to see what you have, but he is going to make a lot of mistakes this year, and he is not a well-rounded player at all at this point, and it's going to cost them a lot of games. Well, real quick, you've got a GM who put everything into drafting Geno Smith and rebuilt their backfield with Chris Ivory and Mike Goodson. That's three critical skill positions that essentially could be a disaster at the end of the season. Yes, well, that, that, is, that is something to keep in mind as well. But, yeah, ultimately, to me right now, the big question is what you have in Geno, and they, if they whiffed on this, they're going to be dreadful this season. So, you know, the Jets, it's, it's always and back and forth. Your, your Jets fandom coming out here. <laughs> Next week he's going to be the greatest thing ever again. I have never been all in on Gino, and if you listen to this podcast, you know, but he's, he's made enough throws to get you a little excited, but this was the bad Gino that you worry about. All right, let's move on. Uh, Denver, you know, the Broncos, they are um, – Undoubtedly the best offense in the league. They have the best offense in the league, probably the best team at this point. 52-20 win over the Eagles. Manning now has 16 touchdown passes. That's the most in the first month of a season ever. Um, Wes, you watched that game. I mean, who's going to stop this team right now? That was my takeaway that I think we've been talking about this since the preseason that they could chase the Patriots' scoring record. Now I'm thinking the question is, are they going to chase the Patriots' 16-0 and regular season record? Ah, so you're in now on the possibility of 16 and 0 cuz I called it. I am. I don't week 2. 15 straight regular season games they've beaten every opponent by at least a touchdown. 
At this point, we just want to know if anybody can stay in the game with him. All right, let's look at the defenses they play. That at least has to be a factor. Ravens in week one, good defense. But the next three are three of the worst defenses in football. Uh, on paper, Giants have been terrible. The Raiders have been okay, not great. And the Eagles are terrible. Wait a minute. Hold on. I mean, they haven't just played even. with the, They have wiped these teams off the grid. And right. it's not just their offense. People don't respect their defense, and their defense is playing really well. And then they get Von Miller and Champ Bailey back. And what, who is the team that can give them a game? Maybe it's Dallas next week. I, I could see Dallas being competitive. I could see Dallas them giving them Dallas. a game. Yeah, I could see I that. I think when, it's, when a team like this is probably going to go 15-1 and one or 14-2, and two, it's weird teams that you're not predicting that are going to – someone's going to knock them off that we don't see. Remember when that – Broncos team with Elway back in the day. Went into Kansas City. Or was it Kansas City? Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah. It was the weirdest team, a terrible team, and just caught them off guard one day. I mean, we haven't seen any team play close to the Broncos at this point. All right, let's – well, why don't we just quickly – we'll take a – let's take a look at their schedule to the bye because I want to see where they can get um, before that. Is this computer, which – it's they play the Cowboys, AOL then the Jaguars. I think the Redskins are in there. Dial-up situation. Some of the worst. Yeah, Cowboys, Jaguars, Redskins. Hang on one second. And they're getting two. I mean, if they get two return touchdowns a week. All right, here it is. We got at Cowboys, home to Jaguars, which is, oh, my God, home to Jaguars, at Colts, and home to Redskins, and then week nine by You very easily can be looking at an 8 no team there. The Colts is interesting. Colts and Cowboys are both both interesting, at least. It'll be fun to watch. The other ones, they, they might be in the 60s with their points. Peyton Manning going back to Indy for that Colts game. That will be interesting. All right, so while uh, the Eagles could not get a win, the their division rivals, the Redskins, did take care of business in Oakland, a 24-14 win. Greg, you watched that game. The Redskins, by the way, if you... Need a defense in fantasy. Pick up those Redskins because uh, they had seven sacks and a defensive score. Redskins defense on the mend. Greg. <laughs> well, welcome to the 2013 season, Redskins defense. You know, RG3 was a little bit better again this week, but he kind of played the same, I think he has, uh, that he did last week. The difference was Matt Flynn was the starting quarterback for the Raiders, and they couldn't move the ball at all. Seven of their points came off a punt return. They had a drive early in the game, and that was it. And after the game, Dennis Allen basically just filleted Flynn, which I was really surprised to hear. Uh, he said Flynn isn't seeing the ball, wasn't seeing the field very well. He didn't play very well, and now we have to move on. And that was that was his assessment of Matt Flynn. I think it shows you how much Terrell Pryor has won this coaching staff over early. I thought it was being a little harsh because the offensive line was terrible. In this game, they lost Darren McFadden and Marcel Reese in the first half. So it's not like he had a lot of help, but he's right. I mean, Flynn just kind of stood there and, you know, waited, and, and that's it. And now we know why Matt Flynn keeps and, getting beat out. And you know what? I, you know, How about Matt Flynn just retires? Uh, you know, he's been through a lot. Everything seems to go poorly for him in his career. You got some money. Let's open up a pub. You know, call it Flynn's. Could even have, like, a drink special, like, Signifying, I threw for 480 yards in a game for the Packers. Every once beer costs four dollars and eighty cents. Yeah, well, you know, you take advantage of that, and you know, you have some fun with that, and you have a nice life because, it, you know, I don't understand why Dennis Allen is destroying Matt Flynn. I mean, the guy is limited player, and he's he's coming in on short notice. What, what's up with that? I I think his destiny is to be the Doug Peterson to. The Doug Peterson to Brett Favre is what Matt Flynn should be to Aaron Rodgers. Just go back there, be his backup, you know, shoot some, you know, 
deer or whatever they do, you know, and hang out. <laughs> Greg Rosenthal, man of the people. Yeah. <laughs> Outdoorsman, Greg Rosenthal. Um, all right, anybody else have any thoughts on that game? I'm just glad it's over. <laughs> yeah, as as we all are. All right, let's move on to San Diego. Oh, it's time to buy in on Philip Rivers for MVP talk. It's time. Uh, what a game by Rivers. I watched this one. Uh, he... This is how good Rivers was. He His completion percentage was 83%, 35 of 42, uh, for 400 yards. He is, that's the highest completion percentage for any quarterback in the history of the NFL uh, that threw for 400 yards in a single-season game, a uh, single game. I mean, he is that locked in right now, and basically the Chargers are a legit AF. They're obviously not in the Broncos class, but they're a legit wild-card contender with Rivers playing at this level. I thought this game was like perfect storm of two teams that were completely ready to do something very ugly facing each other. So one of these teams had to win. You know, the Cowboys, we're talking about this before the podcast, and I know Greg does not like stats that deal with history, but this is recent. <laughs> Since 2004, they have been 2-1 and one seven times and have lost their fourth game of the year every <laughs> single time. This was such a Dallas Cowboys game. It really was. I mean, they they can't get out of their own way. This is a bad job by the Cowboys because I I I think everyone should respect now that Rivers is playing at such a level where the San Diego Chargers are a pretty good team. But you you know what? But you can't pick them again the rest of the year. I will year. not pick them. But <laughs> so I will this, tell you. this shows the difference of you know someone who wants to win the picks pool and someone who gets emotional. I had them as a hero pick last week. They broke my heart. Came right back to them because I liked the game and. Bam, they got me. <laughs> well, we'll see. If they win a couple more games, I will throw out my claws very easily. <laughs> you're just, no you're a man. You just me. float in the wind. That's a bad a bad job by the Cowboys who had a chance to really establish themselves as a real NFC team. And now we think they're the same Cowboys that they've always been. And, and Mark, you said you think the Cowboys are going to go 8-8 eight and eight, win the division. I don't see anything telling us that they won't be the same old Cowboys team. Maybe eight wins get you in the playoffs, and maybe it doesn't, and that's where they'll probably end up. So Antonio Gates is making me uh, – it's making me understand just how hard the NFL is to predict. Yeah. He hasn't played – I mean, he's played pretty poorly and looked slower. And now he's on pace for his best season of all time after two or three years of kind of looking like he was on the decline. We never know anything about the yeah. NFL. I remember no. in week one watching the Monday night game against the Texans and sending out a tweet that was something along because he wasn't moving well. And it was like, you know, I think one of the commentators said that Gates is still one of the best tight ends in football. And I was like, that is not true. And it hasn't been for a couple of years. Uh, listen, he's putting up numbers that he's like one of the best tight ends in football again. I mean, how much does that correlate with the quarterback play? Obviously, it. It's a big difference with Rivers playing. Well, we've at a high said level. every week that he's moving better this year. I think right. it's health. I mean, he's had so many injuries, and yeah. just watching him move. You know, we we and I think that I've probably been one of the guilty parties. So much credit to Mark Tressman for what he's done with Cutler, but what about Mike McCoy? Is he not really? Is it because San Diego is a sleepy little West Coast California town, not the heart of the football scene? Kind of being ignored for what has been a very good coaching job. Well, now he's done this with what Matt Moore, Tim Tebow, Peyton. Man well, you can't really credit him for Peyton Manning, but 
I will. And this isn't the well, greatest. Well, he didn't botch Peyton Manning. This isn't the most talented Chargers group around Rivers either. I mean, Danny Woodhead's making plays. They don't have Malcolm Floyd. It's not really, a, you know, Eddie Royal is making plays for them. So I'm pretty impressed with McCoy. It's a good point. I would say one thing to watch out for with San Diego. Uh, Dwight, they do not. They don't have a great pass rush, as we know. Dwight Freeney is really the the guts of that pass rush, and he went down with a a leg injury today, and where it's unclear how serious it is, but uh, that is something to keep an eye on. What about Manti? A very quiet. You know, I would have to watch the game again to get a better idea, but you didn't hear his name getting called a lot. Which takes us to the final game, Sunday night. Sunday night football. Alan Chris, it looked like a another Sunday night stinker. Instead, we got some fireworks at the end of the game. But ultimately, though, the New England Patriots, a 30-23 win. Greg, who I was sitting next to, you know, he felt confident, but you could tell Greg, Greg was getting really nervous, really afraid. <laughs> but ultimately, the Pats came out ahead 4-0 in September. It's not true at all. I was a pic- <laughs> the picture of calm. I've seen this story before from Matt Ryan and this Falcons team. It was very reminiscent of the NFC Championship game of, of Week 1. And Aqib Tlaib, I thought it was fitting that he made the pass deflection on the final play because he's been such a difference maker in that secondary and now they they're not a great defense but they're a good defense that makes enough plays and Wes who they call him the mailman and it's because he he knows things he notices things Wes can you tell us a little bit about that last play fourth down the Falcons uh, they needed five yards for a first down they went to the end zone incomplete pass well let's set this up with what they did all game Belichick is known for taking away what you do best he took away Julio Jones uh and then towards the end, he saw that Gonzalez was beating them. So we saw gunner coverage on Gonzalez, which is two guys covering him at the line of scrimmage. Collinsworth mentioned during the game that he's only ever seen that on Calvin Johnson. We've seen it a couple of times with him. So you got gunner coverage on Gonzalez. You've got one cornerback on Julio with safety help over the top. So Ryan isn't going there. He's not going to Gonzalez. And then they put Aqib Tlaib, their best cornerback, on Roddy White one-on-one. Who and isn't Roddy White right now either? Right. So that to me that was brilliant defense from the from the Patriots. It, it gave Ryan a look that he he didn't really have a great option. Do you want to go to Harry Douglas? Do you want to go to Quiz Rogers coming out of the backfield? They they took away what the Falcons do best. And it's amazing that we we're even in that place. I mean, this game was thirty thirteen. Uh, Falcons, they get a score. They recover the onside kick. They score again. I mean, the game just it spun out of control for the Pats. But Talib has become a star player for them, huh, Greg? It, it just shows the close difference in the NFL between, say, a 4-0 team and a 1-3 team. I don't think this Falcons team is that much different than the team that won 13 games last year, but they can't convert in the red zone. They were so lucky last year in all these close games, and now this year they've kind of been unlucky. You As good as Ryan played, you know, for some of the game, you made some big plays. Julio Jones, you know, made great contested catches. I think you do have to knock him a little bit for those throws in the final sequence. Uh, bad throw on first down, just completely didn't give the receiver a chance. And then on second down, pretty much the same thing, didn't give Tony Gonzalez a chance. So that's two pretty bad throws in, in the key spot of the game. To your point on Talib, even with Julio Jones catching that bomb late in the game, he went over 100 yards. Patriots are holding opposing number one receivers to 58 yards per game, even with that 100-yard game out of Julio. It's not just Tlaib as a Patriots homer. It's Tlaib and McCourty at safety. He, McCourty at safety has changed that whole defense since the end of last year. He's been a big help changing positions. Okay, so that is that is the Sunday games. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday. We have one more game in week four. That is Miami going to New Orleans. That's a great game. 
Uh, so we will talk about that on Wednesday and anything else that's going on. Uh, until then, this is Dan Hansa signing off for the mailman, the sizzler, the boss, K-Rich behind the glass, and, of course, Lyle the intern. Until Wednesday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.